Hello and welcome to this week's episode of About Abortion. I'm Dave Brennan and today we're doing something a little bit different. Um, a lot of the people I speak with or I hear back from who are listening into this podcast or just people who get in touch um, because they've got a heart for this issue and a, a longing to see the church um, wake up to the realities of the baby genocide. Many of these people, um, they, their, their initial sort of uh, zeal is soon challenged by the harsh realities of the way the church responds or to be um, more accurate perhaps doesn't respond to this issue. That zeal is often um, met pretty quickly uh, with the challenge of how do we keep going? You know, it's a difficult work uh, to stand up against a genocide. And if I'm honest, one of the hardest things about it is the apathy and uh, a non-engagement of the church. So how do we keep going? So today I want to do something a little bit different. I want to offer you some encouragement. I want to give you some uh, something that I've just been looking at from Scripture about how we can keep going. And, and, and the, the, the way this has actually come about, I was at a, a conference uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, for uh, those looking to get trained up in pro-life activism. And I was, I was asked to do uh, a session on, on spiritual preparation, really how we can be prepared in our hearts and our spirits uh, for the activism we're undertaking. And so I really wanted to bring some of that to you uh, today for your encouragement and and rather than a sort of a, a list of tips and, and so on, really, I want to um, present to you just some thoughts based on three root virtues, um, which I think if we keep in mind and if we practice these, if we make this our habit, it's almost like ongoing spiritual hygiene. If we keep these three key virtues in mind, um, it's going to put us in good stead for the long haul. Um, to be engaging in this work, full of encouragement in a way that honours God, in a way that makes a difference. And, uh, and so think of this, if you will, as a sort of spiritual health check, a sort of MOT, and, and something we're going to have to come back to again and again um, as we proceed. And these three key virtues are very familiar, perhaps, and therefore hopefully memorable for you to bear in mind as you think about whether it's your, the next time you try to engage your pastor on this issue, the next time you go out onto the streets doing public education work, the next time you have a conversation with a friend or a colleague, or whatever it might be, um, keep these three in mind. And I don't think you can go far wrong. And these three key virtues, these kind of root virtues, are faith, hope, and love. Very familiar, and of course, we hear about them in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So I'm just going to read that for us. Um, I'm going to start at the end of um, chapter 12, the final bit of chapter 12, and then read through the whole of chapter 13, and just offer some, some reflections, some thoughts on these three key virtues, faith, hope, and love, and how they um, feed into the way we perceive and, and carry out our, our activism to the glory of God. Okay, so end of chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. And now I will show you the most excellent way if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. 
If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection, as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Well, um, in this short time, these next few minutes, I'm not going to attempt to exegete the whole of 1 Corinthians 13, uh, much as I'd love to. Uh, but instead, I really want to take these three key virtues, faith, hope and love, uh, because they are virtues, biblically important virtues. I wonder if you think of them as, as virtues. Uh, I want to take these three and, and just draw out some of the ways in which they can be applied and they need to be applied uh, to pro-life activism. And I just hope that this can be an, of encouragement to you as you listen. Those of you who are engaged in pro-life work in whatever way, I hope this is going to be an encouragement to your soul. Um, and, and these three, of course, apply to all of the Christian walk, uh, all of life. Um, but specifically, we're going to see how they connect with pro-life activism. And I think they encapsulate really quite beautifully and, and hopefully memorably what our approach to this whole area of work needs to be spiritually speaking. So let's just take them in order. So first of all, faith. What is faith? It's one of those words, isn't it? It's bandied about a lot, you sometimes hear people say, I wish I had your faith, and what they mean by that are never quite sure. I mean, faith in whom? What kind of faith? Faith in what? George Michael famously sang, you've got to have faith. I don't believe he was referring to specifically faith in Christ. So what kind of faith are we talking about? We're talking, of course, about biblical faith. Faith as defined by scripture. Hebrews 1 says this, now faith is being sure of what we hope for, and certain of what we do not see. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Faith is believing God, trusting in God. It's taking him at his word. It's about depending on him, above all for our salvation, but also for everything else within our Christian walk. Our salvation, uh, we access through Christ, faith in him, 
in his life and death and resurrection, but that's also our trust for everything else. In all things, God works for our good, not just in terms of our, uh, it's not just our forgiveness and our eternal salvation, but every day, every step of the way, God is working for our good and faith is believing that and, and, and leaning into that. Romans 8 tells us that along with Jesus, he's gonna give us all things. Faith is closely related to prayer. Indeed, it is the foundation of prayer because without prayer, without faith, prayer is, is really nothing. Let me just read to you some words from uh, Spurgeon on faith. Christian, take good care of thy faith. For recollect, faith is the only way whereby thou canst obtain blessings. If we want blessings from God, nothing can fetch them down but faith. Prayer cannot draw down answers from God's throne, except it be the earnest prayer of the man who believes. Faith is the angelic messenger between the soul and the Lord Jesus in glory. Let that angel be withdrawn. We can neither send up prayer nor receive the answers. Faith is the telegraphic wire which links earth and heaven, on which God's messages of love fly so fast that before we call, he answers. And while we are yet speaking, he hears us. But if that telegraphic wire of faith be snapped, how can we receive the promise? Am I in trouble? I can obtain help for trouble by faith. Am I beaten about by the enemy? My soul on her dear refuge leans by faith. But take away faith. In vain I call to God. There is no road betwixt my soul and heaven. In the deepest winter time, faith is a road on which the horses of prayer may travel, and all the better for the biting frost, but blockade the road. And how can we communicate with the great king? Faith links me with divinity. Faith clothes me with the power of God. Faith engages on my side the omnipotence of Jehovah. Faith ensures every attribute of God in my defence. It helps me to defy the hosts of hell. It makes me march triumphant over the necks of my enemies. But without faith, how can I receive anything of the Lord? Let not him that wavereth, who is like a wave of the sea, expect that he will receive anything of God. Oh then, Christian, watch well thy faith, for with it thou canst win all things, however poor thou art. But without it, thou canst obtain nothing. If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. So faith is everything, isn't it? And real faith always generates obedience. Faith looks like something. Faith without deeds, says James in chapter two, is dead. So there's something of what faith is and how critical faith is. It's, it's everything in our Christian walk generally, but, but, but also specifically with regard to our pro-life activism, because above all, um, that's a spiritual work. So how does this relate specifically to pro-life activism? Allow me just to signpost a few areas for our consideration as we think about how faith is critical and taking good care of our faith in terms of spiritual maintenance and well-being in this work. So firstly, we need to acknowledge that we're in spiritual warfare. That's what this work is. Uh, we're waging war against the enemy of our souls and the enemy of 
God's image bearers, the enemy of men, women, and babies in particular. Our enemy is powerful, he is determined, he's stronger than we are, naturally speaking. And acknowledging all of this, the spiritual realities of what we're up against, we make sure that um, faith is, is held in, our, in highest esteem, in particular through prayer and fasting. This is key. We need to make prayer and fasting a priority. This is how we live out our God dependence or our faith in fasting and prayer, both individually and corporately. And our, and our faith as um, lived out through prayer and fasting needs to be targeted uh, in, in specific areas. We need to be praying for protection for ourselves and for our families. We need to be praying for uh, spiritual ground taking in the heavenlies. That's, that's, that's the uh, arena of, of the warfare we're engaged in. We need to pray for insight and wisdom as we engage people, whether that's on the streets, people in church. We need to be uh, praying for divine appointments. Um, our public education team going out in, in Norwich uh, on a monthly basis, we're, we're routinely praying for divine appointments that the Lord would send us the right people at the right time, the ones he's already been at work in, preparing their hearts and minds and, and preparing us to have a word in season to speak to them. And I can't tell you the difference it makes. We need to be praying for these divine appointments. We need to be praying for hearts to be changed. Uh, scripture says the flesh counts for nothing. Flesh only gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. And this is spiritual work. And we need to be praying that the Lord is going to be moving spirits uh, be that of those who are believers and yet still have an area of blindness in it, with, with regard to uh, the baby genocide. They're just not seeing um, really the gravity of this issue. They don't get it. They're not seeing the, the, how he respond to God's image bearers in the womb and, and the violence being done to them. They don't see the spiritual significance of that. They don't see what this has to do with them as Christians in this generation. We need to pray for that. Um, sort of targeted spiritual blindness to be lifted. Or it could be that we're, we're praying for those who aren't believers at all um, and they are totally held captive by the enemy. We need to pray against the spiritual blindness that's keeping them in that captivity. We need to pray for thinking to be straightened. We need to pray for lives to be saved, that's what's at stake here, and souls, souls to be saved. And, and without faith, none of this can happen, um, and our prayers are going to be empty. So faith lived out in vital prayer and fasting needs to be our modus operandi. It needs to be like breathing to us. This is our method. Our confidence is in God, and our way of operating is faith in God. If, 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 we, if this isn't the way we're going to be proceeding, then we're not going to last out. And we're not going to achieve anything of value. You know, um, if you've been following these podcasts, you'll have picked up all sorts of um, insights, hopefully, and, and apologetics tools and tips for how to engage. And, and these are all, all helpful um, in their way. But these tools are nothing compared to faith. Faith in the God who can do anything. That's, that's what we need to keep first and, and foremost in our hearts and minds. God is the one we're depending on. And, and not only is our salvation of him and our right standing with God, but everything we do 
day by day, needs to be done in faith. So that's our modus operandi, it's our method. That's, to, to us, it needs to be as obvious and routine as breathing. It's how we go about our pro-life activism. Um, our whole life uh, should be a prayer. That's what we need to aspire to. But as well as being our modus operandi, sort of the way we operate, uh, prayerfulness essentially, and fueled by real faith, uh, it also needs to be, faith needs to be our motivation. It needs to be uh, where our activism comes from. Uh, it, it needs to be sort of the source, as it were, of our activism. And it also needs to be the target, what we're aiming for, what we're looking forward to. So faith needs to be um, not only the way in which we proceed, it needs to be what frames before um, and after, as it were, our activity. Um, what do I mean by that? We're motivated by our faith in the Son of God. That's what it comes out of. We're saved by grace, through faith, in Him, which is itself a gift. And all that to say, we're not working so as to justify ourselves. That's not what this is coming out of. It's not what it's for. We're not trying to um, save the world off our own bat. We're not trying to justify ourselves or prove something. Um, and that's really important because if we think we're the saviors of the world, or if we think we're our own saviors, um, we're going to approach things in the wrong spirit. We're going to exhaust ourselves um, and, and we're not going to be able to approach it with the, the kind of uh, hope and love we're going to go on and look at in a moment. But we need to. So it's very important that faith is not just our method, um, but it's also our, our motivation. This comes out of biblical faith in Christ uh, so that it's an overflow of the relationship we have by grace through faith in Christ. We're trusting in his salvation and also in his justice. Uh, we're involved in God's um, justice. We're involved in uh, bringing his kingdom into this world. But ultimately, he's the one who's going to bring full justice. And again, that changes the way we engage. Uh, we don't have to see everything happen right now um, under our influence. Um, we don't have to approach in that desperation, but rather we know um, that he is going to bring about full justice in good time. So this changes our whole, whole attitude. If we're approaching things um, out of this kind of faith, um, there's not going to be a kind of striving or a frustration. We're not going to be given to becoming disheartened or disillusioned because we have full confidence in the God who's saved us graciously and who's going to put all things right. Um, in the end. So that's something on faith and it leads on to our second virtue which is hope. Again uh, like faith hope is a, a, a much bandied word. It can mean all sorts of things. Uh, in common parlance it, it, it really can be akin to simply wishing for something or wanting something to be uh, the case. Uh, in the way that some people use it it's a little more than just a desire. Uh, I, I grew up going to uh, Wales every uh, year for my summer holidays and you know you could say I hope the weather in Wales is going to be good this summer. Um, that's uh, perhaps um, a more stretched example of, um, of hope and perhaps uh, at the opposite end of the spectrum from what biblical hope is because biblical hope is about certainty. Biblical hope is about certainty. Biblical hope is eagerly looking forward to something good with confident expectation that it will come to pass. That's biblical hope. 
It refers to what is stored up for us securely in heaven and nothing can touch it. It refers to God himself and all his goodness, which will be made known in the most glorious way at the end of the age. That's biblical hope. It's to do with certainties, not wishes. Now, it's true, of course, it's not here yet, because that wouldn't be hope. Who hopes for what he already has, says the scripture, but we eagerly await for it. We're on the edge of our seats. We can't wait for it to get here. And here's the thing about hope, biblical hope, the future reality, which is guaranteed, as we fix our eyes on it, as we eagerly expect it and look forward to it, that hope, that future reality, as we put our hope in it, transforms our present experience. It changes our right now experience. Precisely because it's a certainty, we can draw down from it in advance, if I can use that kind of language. It's as if we can start spending with it already because we know it's guaranteed. Because it's our inheritance and it's guaranteed, we're able to spend from it emotionally. We can use the joy and encouragement and perspective that it gives now. So it enables us to be happy when without hope we'd be sad. It enables us to carry on when without hope we'd have to give up. It enables us to see the bigger picture when without hope we'd be utterly dominated by the present situation. Friends, this is why hope is a virtue. It changes the way we behave. It makes a moral difference. Hope is a foundation to other virtues. That's why I call it a root virtue. And all of these three, faith, hope and love, are root virtues. Hope enables us to forgive. It enables us to serve. It enables us to suffer patiently. Put simply, we know that in the end, God will put all things right and we will be eternally and infinitely happy in him and with him. Justice will be done and mercy will be granted to us who put our trust in him. So how things are going now needn't dictate our mood. It needn't dictate our behaviour. We are directed by the hope of what is to come. So this is critical if we're going to last out and be fruitful in our pro-life activism. So how, how might this relate to pro-life activism in particular? Let me again just signpost a couple of things for you. I'm looking forward to the day when there will be no sickness, no crying, no death, no abortion. Jesus will surely do away with all violence. He will lift up the oppressed. He will beat swords into plowshares. He'll beat abortion instruments into musical instruments. There is hope for the oppressed. God will not leave them at the mercy of their persecutors forever. This is going to end. The days of this great injustice are numbered. There's a scripture, Genesis 15, 16, I was reflecting on just this morning. Uh, the Lord says the sin of the Amorites had not yet reached its full measure. You turn right ahead to um, Revelation uh, chapter 14. We read that when um, the, the grapes are, are ripe, when that sin has reached its full measure at the end of time, there's going to be a great judgment 
and those grapes are going to be trampled in the winepress of God's wrath. Now, we don't know. There's mystery here. We don't have the, the wisdom, the understanding to know why it is we don't see justice happening right now. We might think it's high time. That just as the sin of the Amorites hadn't reached its full measure, and just as we read in, in, in Revelation 14, um, the, 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 the fruit of sin had to reach a certain point of maturity until that was the time for judgment to take place. So we are currently living in a moment where, in God's wisdom, that time hasn't yet come, uh, but it will surely come, and there will be an end to this injustice. You know, I have one kind of hope in what we're doing and, uh, and, and the methods we're using, and I draw one kind of hope from the history of social reform, and I believe, I happen to believe, uh, that we're going to see an end to this injustice in our lifetime. Within a few years, I believe we're going to see an end to the legalised genocide of babies in our land. I happen to think that, and, I, and that's another discussion, and we can, we can talk about that sometime. That's one kind of hope I have, uh, and I've got reasons for that hope, that, that, that what we're doing is going to work, and it's going to work soon. Um, but there is a different and higher form of hope that I have, um, which is there is a certainty that in God's time, sooner or later, this is going to end. The light has shone in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Christ is making all his enemies his footstool. So we're on the winning side, and uh, we can have the courage to face the darkness, knowing that the light will surely win. Secondly, there's hope for sinners. So you're not just hope for the, for the oppressed, for the victims of this injustice, there's hope for sinners. We're speaking with people all the time who've had abortions, who uh, support abortions, who show apathy, disdain um, when it comes to this great injustice. Those who've performed abortions or demanded abortions or been complicit in some way, agreed to abortions. I've got hope for these people who are um, sinners and even oppressors. Of course, we're all sinners. We all stand at the foot of the cross in need of forgiveness. We need to repent. And I don't know whether the people I'm speaking with day to day are going to repent. I don't know that. But what I do know is this, if they do repent, they'll be shown mercy. And so I have hope for sinners, not just for the oppressed. And then thirdly, I've got hope uh, for us, for me, for, for, for those who are involved. You know, Philippians 1.20, uh, Paul says that uh, he eagerly hopes and expects that what happened to him would turn out for his deliverance. Because it's almost, um, it's almost uh, funny how uh, they arrested him uh, to try and stop him from preaching the gospel. And yet it was precisely because they arrested him and put him in chains. That was actually serving the advance of the gospel. Uh, nothing can chain the word of God. And so it's an example of how we can have hope in the midst of our sufferings, knowing that they are achieving for us a glory. Uh, we can rejo rejoice not just in spite of our sufferings. We can rejoice because of our sufferings, because they are helping to achieve in us uh, an eternal glory that far outweighs all our sufferings, but also through us, this is how God is advancing his kingdom. So we can have hope for ourselves that right here and now, um, God is at work and doing good. And we know that in the end, um, we'll be rejoicing and perfectly happy 
um, in him and with him. So we can have hope for ourselves. In uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter uh, 1, verse 3, Paul speaks again of the endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. If we're going to endure in this work, hope is essential. Without hope, I don't think you can endure much, at least not without growing bitter and angry and so on. But with hope, we can endure anything. So faith, hope, and then thirdly, love. Uh, once again, uh, it's a well-documented fact that love can mean more or less anything you want it to mean. Uh, one slogan states, love is love. It's interesting, isn't it, how these three essential virtues, these kind of root virtues, each one of them has undergone a sort of linguistic attack, a sustained attack on their very definition uh, and their meaning, such that we, we struggle to even know what we're talking about when we um, say faith or, or hope or love. Um, no doubt a satanic ploy to try and make sure people can't even understand what these things are, let alone uh, subscribe to them. But of course the love we're talking about um, is Christ-like love. Agape in the Greek is that self-sacrificial act of service. Um, the love Christ showed for us ultimately at the cross. And so of course we're talking about love as an action and not a feeling. Love must be all our motivation. Firstly, love for God. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We love, first and foremost, God who first loved us. We live our lives before God. And pro-life activism is just one of the ways in which we offer up our thankful worship to God. It's an act of love for him first and foremost. And we've got to remember that and keep that at the forefront of our hearts and minds. Secondly, we need to love the people we're engaging with. You know, it's, um, it's natural perhaps for those involved in this kind of work to love the babies. That's why we're here. It's easy for that anger at the injustice against those babies, uh, that, that sort of anger injustice, which is a, a right and anger, a righteous anger, for that to morph into hate or at least a lack of graciousness. Um, as well as love for babies, we've got to maintain a love for everyone we're speaking to. All of them are made in the image of God. We, um, we spoke a bit about this in an episode uh, a few weeks back. You can go back and look at it. Uh, myself and Dave Payne, our second tutorial in apologetics, how to um, prepare ourselves in our hearts and minds uh, before going out on the streets or any other kind of pro-life activism. We've got to love those we're seeking to reach. As Martin Luther King said, whom you would change, you must first love, and they must know uh, that you love them. Uh, so it's not just morally essential, it's pragmatically essential. If we're not loving the people that we're talking to, and if they're not sensing that, it's gonna be very difficult to see the change in hearts and minds that we're longing uh, to see. And we remember there, but for the grace of God go I. So we wanna share the same love and grace we've been shown, and that's essential. That's why this is one of the root virtues. It's from this virtue that other virtues uh, spring up. Um, it's worth mentioning, very few pro-lifers I know personally fall foul of this. I think there's a media misrepresentation that wants to portray us as, as hateful, angry people. My experience overwhelmingly has not been that, but let me um, be honest and share where I find this the hardest, and I, and I, I venture to um, 
assume that for many other people involved in the pro-life movement it's the same. Sometimes the hardest place for us to maintain grace and love for those that um, we're seeking to uh, influence in this whole area, they're in the church. And sometimes that's the hardest, um, the hardest place to encounter the frustration, the apathy, but even there, perhaps especially there, we've got to be remembering to love um, those that we're engaging with, even when we feel that they are uh, being obstructive uh, to these babies getting the help um, that they need. So drawing all this together in prayerful preparation, and this is regular daily stuff, we need to be building not only our faith and our hope, but also checking ourselves, is love all our motivation? Is that what's driving me? And I think if we can uh, maintain these three root virtues, uh, and hopefully they're easy enough to remember, faith, hope, and love, on a daily basis, check in on those. Am I continuing in faith? Am I putting all my trust in God, in everything? Is it like breathing to me? Hope, am I keeping a hold of the hope of that wonderful inheritance stored up for me and, and the, the, the day when the Lord's gonna put it all to rights? And am I proceeding in love? Love not just for the babies, um, but, but even for those who are oppressing the babies, those who are bystanding and just allowing the injustice to continue. If I can maintain faith, hope and love, then I'm gonna uh, stay encouraged and I'm gonna keep faithful to the task the Lord set before me. Let me just uh, finish um, with some words from 1 Thessalonians chapter one, and this is verse uh, three. We continually remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, there's a, something of a spiritual MOT for us. May the Lord bless you and keep you as you continue to hold out um, the truth and stand for life and continue as a voice for the voiceless.